Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Oh, Christ, be magnified. Let our praise of you arise from the center of our lives to the center of the universe, your throne. May you be lifted up. And if you be lifted up, King Jesus, would you draw all kinds of people to yourself? People that are far from you right now, would you be at work by your Holy Spirit, drawing them in your love towards you? Young people, Lord, would you be at work inviting the next generation to rise up and follow you with everything that they have? Parents, Lord, would you help us as parents to exalt and lift up Jesus before our families, to, to, Lord, see you magnified in our homes? People who who will go back to school this week as teachers and faculty, I pray that you would be magnified in our schools through the witness of people who are Christ followers in our schools. Jesus, amongst those who have all the experience of life, what an opportunity for you to be magnified in their lives as they pass on their faith to others. And oh, dear Jesus... From your word in our lives, Lord, may you be magnified this morning as I speak and as we listen to what your Holy Spirit would say to magnify Jesus. Oh, give us ears to hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to finish our study in the book of Colossians this morning. So I'm going to be in Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 10, and I'm going to read through the end of the book, which is verse 18. This is is God's word. It's inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's our only rule for faith and practice. So let's pay attention to it. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers For the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those that are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take 
heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Sue Ellen and I were on our vacation a few weeks ago. We went on a cruise. Um, Part of our cruise, uh, we landed in Cozumel, interesting place. We took a tour of Cozumel on uh, e-bikes. It was pretty fun. I was really proud of my wife. And as a part of the tour, we were going to stop at a uh, place where they were going to explain all the ways that they make tequila. And they were going to give us a chance to, you know, taste some tequila. And I, you know, I had some not so pleasant memories of times that I had tasted tequila and and I don't drink anymore. And so I was just telling our tour guide, hey, you know, listen, I don't, I don't really drink. So I probably won't spend, want to spend too much time uh, at the tequila factory. And he said, well, you know, uh, I, I don't drink either. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, you know, for so many years, I was an alcoholic, and, and I was a drug abuser. And, I, you know, I put the drugs in my arm, and I, I would smoke the drugs. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm on a tour guide with this guy. But you know what he did next? He said to me, you know what changed my life? Jesus. And then I realized that what I had in front of me was not just a tour guide. What I had in front of me was a fellow worker. That I had more in common with that young man than than with anyone else on our tour because what we had in common was Jesus and a desire to help others come to know the one that had saved us and could save them too. He was a fellow worker. Did you hear, see that phrase in verse 11? Fellow workers. The Bible was originally written in Greek. And the word for fellow worker is the word synergoi. And it's the word that comes into the English language very directly as the word synergy. Now, many, many years ago, there was a man named Stephen Covey, and he popularized the word synergy in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Habit six was synergize. And in chapter six of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, he says that synergy is the simple truth that two heads are better than one. That in the Christian life, none of us make it on our own. That we are a part of a community. We're part of a fellowship. We're part of a tribe. We're part of a posse. None of us are lone rangers. We all work together within the body for the purpose of magnifying Jesus and getting the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth until he returns. We're fellow workers, or we can be. You see, because the Christian message, the gospel, 
didn't expand through the world because of the professional class of clergy, the Christian message, the gospel, spread throughout the world because of the infectious testimony. It spread throughout the world because people couldn't help but talk about Jesus, just like my tour guide in Cozumel. Michael Green is a historian of the early Christian church, and here's what he says. The enthusiasm to evangelize which marked the early Christians is one of the most remarkable things in the history of religions. Here were men and women of every rank and station in life of every country in the known world so convinced that they had discovered the riddle of the universe, so sure of the one true God whom they had come to know that nothing must stand in the way of their passing on this good news to others. They did it by preaching and personal conversation, by formal discourse and informal testimony, by arguing in the synagogue and by chattering in the laundry. They might be slighted, laughed at, disenfranchised, robbed of their possessions, their homes, or even their families. But this would not stop them. They might be reported to the authorities as dangerous atheists and required to sacrifice to the imperial gods, but they refused to comply. In Christianity, they had found something utterly new, authentic, and satisfying. They were not prepared to deny Christ even in order to preserve their own lives and in the manner of their dying. They made converts to their faith. Fellow workers. What we're going to learn this morning from this fellowship of fellow workers described in Colossians 4 is our purpose as a church. Our purpose is to make disciples together. Any Jeep owners in here? Anybody drive a Jeep? Okay, any Harley riders? Anybody got a Harley? No, I don't have either. Um, I mean, I would, saying, but I don't have either. But I've noticed that Jeep drivers and Harley riders, you guys notice each other. When I see Jeep drivers on the beach, they see each other passing on the beach, and like they, y'all have this weird hand signal. Like, all the Honda Accord drivers that I see around town, they don't do that to me. They're not like, hey, what's up, practicality? I see you, black Honda Accord 2014. Doesn't happen. Harley riders, you're driving on A1A. You see another Harley rider. You've got a signal. What's up? We're family. We're a tribe. We're in this together. If Onesimus or Erasticus or Luke or Demas or Paul walked into Good News Church this morning and they heard our purpose, they would feel at home. 
they'd say, what's up? We're family. We're a tribe. We're in this together. We're fellow workers. We're sinner joy. They would understand perfectly what it means to make disciples together, and they can show us in this passage what it could mean for us. Because listen, if you give yourself, if you give yourself, whether the Lord gives you Five years, 10 years, 18 years, 50 years. Young people, can I speak to you? Don't waste your life. Make your life about winning people to faith in Christ. Make sure you know him. And give your life to making him known amongst your generation. Because I have disappointed Jesus time without number, but he has never once disappointed me. You will never be disappointed by the investment you make to help others come to know Jesus, and you will never know Jesus better than when you are fully invested in the lifestyle of making disciples together. So jump in, join in, synergize with others as fellow workers. Now, what do these men and women teach us about what it means to make disciples together? Well, they teach us that the priority, the first priority in making disciples together is to love Jesus, to love Jesus. What would cause the Apostle Paul to be willing to be imprisoned for the sake of his testimony for Jesus Christ? What would cause Epaphras to also be a prisoner of the Lord, a bond slave of Jesus Christ? What would cause Archippus to take up the ministry of the gospel? What would cause Luke to be described as beloved? Only the love of Jesus Christ. The first priority of a follower of Jesus is to love Jesus and to experience his love. What would cause us to be so captured by the love of Christ that we would give and go and send and share with others what we've come to know. It's when we come to understand the message of this book of Colossians, which has been again and again and again, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Who is Jesus? To know who Jesus is is to fall in love with him. And who is he? Jesus is God the Son. All the way back in Colossians 1, verse 3, we learned it. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God the Son. To know who Jesus is is to fall in love with him. He's God the Son. Who is Jesus? Jesus is fully God and fully man. Look at chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. In him 
all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is head over all rule and authority. Who is Jesus? He's fully God and fully man. He's Lord over all. What has he done? What causes us to fall in love with Jesus is who he is and what he's done for us. What has he done for us? Look at chapter 2, verse 14. Having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Oh, what has Jesus done? He saved us. The good news of the gospel is that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. You see, every single one of us, every single one of us have a debt record of sin. Every single one of us has, has chosen to follow self instead of follow Jesus. Every single one of us has put self before God. We've all sinned, and we're in big trouble because the only thing that can cancel a debt is the death of the debtor. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ chose on the cross to cancel our debt by allowing the Father to take all of our sin and put it on Jesus and for Jesus to be punished in our place as our substitute on the cross to cancel our debt. The only thing that would settle our debt is the death of the debtor, but Jesus Christ stood in our place as our substitute and suffered the penalty for our sin for us. Who is Jesus? He's God the Son. What has he done? He's died in our place. No other deity would do that for you. No other person would do that for you. But Jesus Christ has. And when that truth moves into the center of your life, you can't help but live a life of gratitude to him. A life of worship. Oh, Jesus, God the Son, may you be magnified. A life of sacrificial love for others because of what he's done for you. You won't be able to help yourself. So let me ask you this by way of application. Have you ever experienced the love of Jesus for you to such a degree that it's caused you in wide-eyed wonder to laugh to yourself that I can't believe Jesus would do this for me. Is the truth of the gospel, is it good news for you deep in your heart? Is it good news that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ? Is it? Do you love Jesus as an overflow of an experience of his love for you? Do you? 
these men and women were so moved by the love of Jesus for them, who he was and what he had done, that they were willing to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of the church and for the finishing of the Great Commission. How about us? Love Jesus. Second, love one another. Notice in uh, verse 15, yes, 15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. Now, the first thing we learn about this loving of one another that these fellow workers teach us is that our relationship to one another, we're family. I'm sorry, you didn't choose your family, but this is who we are. We're family. We're brethren in the church. Many years ago, the man who led me to faith in Christ, when he got married, he gave me this little book called A Testament of Devotion as I was one of his groomsmen. And I read this book, and this paragraph has stayed with me for all these years. When we are drowned in the overwhelming seas of the love of God, we find ourselves in a new and particular relation to a few of our fellows. The relation is so surprising and so rich that we despair of finding a word glorious enough and weighty enough to name it. The word fellowship is discovered, but the word is pale and thin in comparison with the rich volume and luminous bulk and warmth of the experience which it would designate. For a new kind of life-sharing and of love has arisen of which we had had only dim hints before. And these are the bonds of love which... Are these the bonds of love with knit, which knit together the early Christians, the very warp and woof of the kingdom of God? And in glad amazement and wonder, we enter upon a relationship which we had not known the world contained for the sons of men. Why should such bounty be given to unworthy men like ourselves? Love one another. The fellowship. The brethren. This rich, voluminous life together in the body of Christ. Joined together in love. All that it would describe us more and more and more. How? As we all more and more share in the love of Jesus, our older brother. See, the more we have Jesus, our older brother, in common, the more or the less all the differences that are so easy for us to see will matter. And suddenly, we'll be blown away. That Jesus, our older brother, has loved us so well, we'll be able to love one another, brothers and sisters, in his family by grace. Now, not only are we family, but there's also a formal relationship that the people entered into together, and that formal relationship was 
membership in the local church. There's three local churches that are described in these verses, the church at Laodicea, the church at Colossae, and the church at Herapolis. Three formal local churches of which these men and women were members. It started in verse, um, let's see, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of your number? What were the requirements for membership in the local church of Colossae or Hierapolis or Laodicea or Rome or Jerusalem? The requirements for membership in the local church were a credible profession of faith in Jesus Christ and that people had received the sign of baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, either in a household baptism on the conversion of the parents or at their own conversion if they had never been baptized as an infant. A credible profession of faith and baptism. And it's the same for us. That in the body of Christ, we identify with Jesus as a formal member of a local church. Have you? Now, what did these people get out of it? Not much. They got persecution, rejection, loss of property, loss of family, loss of friendship, loss of business. And I have to tell you, that being a member formally of a local church may not benefit you. So... We need the same types of expression that they had. Did you hear about the woman Nympha? As I read, Nympha who had a church that met in her house. You see, it was hard to follow Jesus in the first century. And it's hard to follow Jesus today. And so we need not only the formal membership of a local church, we need a house. We need a house community that we can belong to, a small group community. What happened in those house churches? In those house churches, people gathered together for mercy ministry and missionary sending and Bible study and prayer. They gathered together for fellowship and encouragement. I encourage you, read through this chapter again this week, maybe at your small group, and see if you can identify all the things that were happening in these local expressions of the church called house churches or small groups. They needed both. They needed the formal membership of the church and the experience of support and encouragement that they received in the local or in the smaller group, the house church. We need it too. Now, let me ask you, let me try to press this in a little bit. Let me ask you the question, are you growing in your love for others in the local church? Are you identifying yourself more and more as a brother or a sister with others in the body because we all share a big brother, Jesus? Have you identified formally with the local church? Are you a member of a local church? And is that membership in the local church expressed by participation in a smaller fellowship of encouragement and help called a small group? So these, these fellow workers, they teach us to love Jesus, love one another, 
And finally, they teach us to love the lost. To love the lost. We rejoice this week at seeing three different people put their trust in Jesus Christ. You and I are surrounded. We're surrounded by lost people where we live and work and play in our neighborhoods, in our businesses, in our schools, on our teams, at our gyms. We're surrounded by people who need to hear the message of the gospel. And when we're courageous enough to share it, they will respond to the gospel and they'll begin to follow Jesus with you. When Archippus is challenged by Paul, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Archippus is mentioned in the book of Philemon as well as in the book of Colossians. In the book of Philemon, he's not only called a fellow worker, but in the book of Philemon, he's called a fellow soldier. Now, it could mean that that Archippus is a retired military person. Or it could mean that what Paul is trying to teach us is that ministry can be hard. That ministry is spiritual warfare to take the gospel to the lost world around us will be challenging. And so when we look at the lifestyle of the fellow workers in Colossians 4, is there any weapons that he has given to his church that Jesus has left for us that we could use in this spiritual battle? And the answer is yes. He's given us prayer. Epaphras prays for the church at Colossae. And we have the weapon of prayer to advance the gospel into the lost places and amongst the lost people of our community and the lost places and the lost people of the world. We have prayer. We could pray. And he's given us the word of God as a weapon to use to advance the gospel. Paul says, make sure to read my letter. And make sure to read the letter I've sent to the church at Laodicea. He's given us the word of God as a weapon to advance the gospel here in St. John's County and around the world. So let's try to apply it. Let me ask you this. It's so easy to forget the lost. Are are you aware? Are you aware of of the lost people around you, where you live and work and play? Is there any sense of of heartbreak in your heart when you consider their life that you long for them to come to know Jesus the way you have? Do you view prayer and the Word of God as ways that you you can actually use prayer and the Word as spiritual weapons to take the message of the gospel into the world? Are you praying for specific lost people to come to faith in Christ? And do you view the Bible as a spiritual weapon able to change others because it's actually changing you? Oh, love Jesus. Love one another. Love the lost. Now, this week, what I want for us, this week and really for the rest of your life, is I want you to take onto your life the opportunity to follow Jesus and to team up to make disciples. Now, to team up, 
we need to know four things. Team up. T-E-A-M. Randy Pope, who was the pastor at Perimeter Church in Atlanta, taught this. He wrote a book, Insourcing. We don't have time to look at it, but we're going to run through the acrostic. T-E-A-M. Team up for, for making disciples. Team up. T is truth. We need to have relationships in our life where we are receiving the truth. Now, most Christians that I know end at the T. Any golfers in here? Imagine, imagine if you had the opportunity to play at Augusta National. I mean, just imagine. And you get all dressed up. You have on your Augusta National shirt with the little golf course in the shape of America and the yellow flag, and you have your hat and your pants and your golf shoes all shined up, and you get to the first tee, and you walk out on the first tee, and you put your ball on the ground, and you address the ball, and you're all ready. You've got it teed up. And then you pick up your ball, you put it back in your bag, you drive back to your car, you put your bag in the trunk, and you drive home. And that's what most of us do. We tee it up. We take in truth, 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 and we never share it. Oh, how do we move from T to a team? We add the E. We get equipped to begin to do ministry, of the, do the ministry of making disciples. The E, what moves us from being, going beyond just taking in truth is when we learn to share the truth with others. We get equipped. What if there was a tool that you could use where someone else could walk you through what it meant? Simple tools to learn how to abide in Jesus in the word and prayer. Simple tools to learn how to pray. Simple tools to learn what Jesus says about the big questions of life. Simple tools to learn how to share your faith. Simple tools to learn how to begin to build and encourage others. You can be equipped. We want to begin to equip more and more of our people to take simple steps and use simple tools to to make disciples together. We've been working and working on some of these tools. We've developed a guide to help you begin to learn some of these tools. I've been walking through it with our elders. I've been walking through it with our staff. I've been walking through it with a few of our members, and I look forward to them beginning to share it with you. Now, that's the E. The A is accountability. Most people think accountability is just, hey, how can I change behavior? That's not accountability. Accountability is being in relationship with another Christian close enough that if you were in crisis, they would know and they'd be able to help with the gospel. From the inside out, not from the outside in. Accountability. And then finally, mission. Mission. Accountability and then mission, because lost people matter to God. Now, 
Many, many years ago, a man named Dawson Troutman started a ministry called The Navigators. And The Navigators was super effective at winning people to faith in Christ. In fact, Dawson Troutman was so committed to evangelism that he made it his goal every day to share the gospel with somebody. One night, he went to bed, and he remembered in bed that he hadn't shared the gospel with anyone. So what did he do? He got out of bed. He got in his car, and out he went on the highway. On the highway, he picked up a hitchhiker. That hitchhiker, he shared the gospel with him, and he led him to faith in Christ. And then he realized, this foul-mouthed hitchhiker is the same foul-mouthed hitchhiker I led to faith in Christ a year ago. And Dawson Troutman realized that he had had a ministry that was effective at winning lost people, but he hadn't developed a plan or strategy for following them up. So he began to retool and redevelop the ministry of the navigators around follow-up in addition to evangelism. And he got pretty good at it. And so in the 1950s, he was asked to speak to another large ministry, and he gave a sermon called Born to Reproduce. And in it, he says this, what will it take to jar us out of our complacency and send us home to pray? God, give me a girl or a man whom I can win to Christ Or let me take one who is already one, an infant in Christ, and try to train that one so that he or she will reproduce. Oh, dear people, God's dream and desire for each one of us is that we would reproduce spiritually. And again and again and again, if you're a young person, the opportunity of a lifetime stands before you to have the opportunity to not waste your life, but to invest your life on making disciples who can make disciples until Jesus comes back. And wherever you are in life, that you would fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with one another and love the lost so that together, We can make disciples in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Jesus, the time is short. The opportunity is now. You invite us to not waste any more time, but to take the opportunity you've given us to make disciples together. We're surrounded by lost people and lost places in our county and around the world who desperately need the love of Jesus. Help us. Oh, Jesus, I pray that if there's any here this morning or watching online or hearing this message in the future who have never put their trust in Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit, you would be drawing them to receive Christ as Lord and so walk in him. Jesus, I pray that you'd work in each heart here to show us today and this week and in the rest of our life how you invite us to the disciple-making adventure, the opportunity of a lifetime to reproduce our lives spiritually again and again and again until you return or call us home. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.